everybody, it's Nate. It's time for another bite-sized breakdown. So, got a little bit of a what I think is a fairly interesting topic tonight or today, this afternoon, this evening, this morning, uh, whatever time you're listening to this. But uh, the other night when Josh and I were recording uh, our bro hang, which is uh, it's basically our pre-show ramblings, and uh, we record that and we 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 give access to that to our patrons. So quick plug for the Patreon there. Uh, if you're interested in, in hearing some of that, sometimes we get a little political. Uh, sometimes we get a little personal. Uh, it, it tends to be sort of a, a much more free form, not as video game centric. Although, you know, because yeah, video games is what we talk about. Yeah, they make an appearance. Uh, case in point, uh, the other night when we were recording, Josh and I talked about the uh, upcoming 101 uh, remaster slash wonderful 101 remaster slash remake. I I have flubbed that name like eight times in talking about that so far. Uh, Maybe maybe this time I'll get it right for the remainder of the episode. Uh, But I I briefly wanted to talk about remasters and remakes uh, just real quick here uh, because we are hitting a bit of a remaster remake resurgence. Um, So here's a quick review on remakes and remasters. Oh man, there's lots of re's in there. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, you might want to cut that one out, Josh. But uh, anyways, so remakes, remasters. uh, Let's take a quick look. So a remaster, based on my understanding, is pretty much uh, you use the original engine uh, and you basically just tighten up the art assets. Uh, you up-res it. Uh, there's not a lot of additional content. Uh, there might be some tweaking just to make sure that it runs better. It's it's basically taking older software and making sure that it can run pretty much true to form on current-gen stuff. So a lot of the remasters, uh, actually Josh and I played Psychonauts, uh, that would probably fall under a remaster because I think that the PS4 and the the PC version of that game sort of runs at a much higher resolution um, with uh, t- much, much prettier art assets than, uh, well, you can see more, more of the art in, in the, the remaster. Uh, so I, I think Psychonauts would be a good example of that. Uh, the, I think the original, this wonderful one-on-one actually started at, as a remaster, but I think because it, and, and we'll get to this, but because of the nature uh, and the success of its Kickstarter, it's veering more into remake territory. Uh, but the, the rem- uh, another notable uh, remaster, in my opinion, is the, the Eco and Shadow of the Colossus for the PS3. I don't necessarily include the PS4 in that because uh, there was some additional content. And I think in a lot of ways, they sort of just... They actually reworked the game from the ground up and in a lot of ways. Uh, and, and so that's that's the big difference between a remake and a remaster. Uh, the remakes actually are sort of a reworking of the, the game from the ground up. Uh, and it might use some of the original source code. I, and again, I'm not super technical here, so I'm just giving this as sort of a layman's outside opinion on, on, on the differences of these things. So... Uh, but it's basically a reworking of the game. I think the most notable examples of of 
sort of the remake camp would be Capcom's Resident Evil 2. And uh, I mean, we absolutely kudos to Capcom on that. Uh, it's a bit of a masterstroke. Uh, it's so good that we, even over over here at the, the breakdown, have been wooed by its siren calls. And we'll actually be playing it uh, this coming March with uh, one of our main dudes, Wesley, the henshin dad himself. I think we're going to have a, bu- a bunch of us hop on the mics and re- record a you know a bit of a deep dive after we're done sort of chewing through that thing. It- it'll be fun. We're looking forward to it. Uh, it's going to be spoopy. But I think remasters tend to be... Uh, uh, speaking of another game that we're going to be playing this year, uh, Bioshock 2 got a bit of... Uh, in the Bioshock collection, got a bit of a remastering treatment where they, they tightened up the visuals and cleaned it up and uh, you know prettied it up. Uh, so remasters are basically, it's the game in sort of a more true form. Uh, the wind waker HD, I think, I don't know if there was any additional content put on that for Wii U. Uh, legend of Zelda's wind waker came out on GameCube. There was a, a remaster slash remake done for the Wii U. Um, basically the, the big, if there's content or there's modification of the engine or the controls or anything i think at that point in time it sort of veers into um remake territory whereas the remaster is basically they're just prettying up and making sure that it runs well on current gen stuff uh so remasters tend to be significantly cheaper up front but uh you know just i think to you know i i brought up briefly uh the the shadow of the colossus Oh, the Shadow Colossus collection on PS3, and then the the remake remaster on PS4. You know, Blue Point Games is responsible for that. They're responsible for a lot of stuff. Uh, I th- think I don't know if this is confirmed or not, and maybe this just makes me a bad podcaster. I am slight. I've been slightly interested with uh, their tackling, from what I hear, Demon Souls. Uh, and so there's going to be a remake remaster there, and they tend to be masters of their craft. They they know how to. It's and so I'm interested, uh, a remake, basic, basically here, people, a remaster is just a port in many ways, and a remake is a is an overhaul. Um, so, uh, but yeah, going back to that, Bluepoint has done some phenomenal work. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other things. Uh, I think they, they did Flower. Did, I'm not sure that they did the Journey remaster re-release onto PS4. Uh, but they've they've just they've had their fingers in all sorts of stuff. Uh, they're a really talented studio who uh, had d- just done some phenomenal work in sort of that that sort of sector of the market. Uh, but like I said, the remakes would be more akin to I think what uh, Capcom did with Resident Evil Two and uh, what I think we're going to be seeing with Resident Evil Three. And speaking of Capcom. You know, it's it's kind of interesting. We're going to be talking about Platinum Games for a few minutes here uh, in, 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 in talking about Wonderful 101. But Platinum Games is sort of, well, a in a lot of ways, a child. Uh, is, it's a bit of a progeny of Capcom. Uh, Platinum Games got its start, actually. It's a studio that, that came out of the collapse of Clover Studios, which was a sort of a Capcom side project, which brought us Okami, I'm pretty sure Beautiful Joe was part of that lineup and um, God Hand was, or the three titles that I, I'm fairly confident were all Clo- Clover Studio releases. And Clover was supposed to be a little more experimental, a little more sort of like art gamey. 
you know, and uh, I I have a great amount of affection for all three of those games. Uh, Okami is one of those games that I, I think visually is one of the most stunning games you will ever see. Uh, it's just fantastic. Uh, God Hand is a reinterpretation of the brawler beat em up genre, but it's done in, in, in a 3D space. It's weird. Uh, but, and, and then Beautiful Joe is kind of just, well, it's Beautiful Joe. There's some time manipulation mechanics. Uh, there's just, that's a very interesting game. But uh, so Platinum Games was sort of birthed out of the collapse of, of uh, Clover Studios. And uh, Platinum's been around for a few years at this point in time. And th- there were some pretty unnoticeable stuff that they had released. Um, you know, I think one of the big games that they're known for is Bayonetta. Uh, we're actually seeing, and, and Vanquish, which was a PS3, you know, sort of hidden on the, the, the PS3. And I think it was on the 360. It was like, it was, it was sort of a, a last gen soon to be two gens ago uh, release. And it was one of those things. It was, it's a bit of a cult classic, but, and that was sort of Platinum's thing. They would make these cult classic games that the people who were into them were really, really into them. But yeah, anyways, yeah, another remake remaster situation is the Bayonetta Vanquish collection that we're going to be seeing here uh, coming out here uh, sometime this year. But all of that being said, so I've laid a bunch of groundwork here and we've, we've sort of shot past a bunch of stuff real quick just to sort of give us an overview. Uh, Josh and I were talking, you know, coming back to the what, what started this all is Josh and I were talking the other night on, on the Brohang about the wonderful 101 uh, Kickstarter. And I made the comment and we, we talked about a few different things. And so I'm, I'm probably rehashing some stuff. So patrons, you know, sorry. But it is what it is. But we talked we talked a little bit about this. But I really think there are a few things that other developers and other studios would be wise to take note of. Um, first and foremost, I think one of the things that this this Kickstarter allows them to do is gauge interest for a rather niche title that people might be interested in, but they don't have to necessarily go super crazy. So it's a, a fairly low risk way to assess potential interest in one of their properties. You know, the wonderful 101 was was basically stranded on the Wii U, uh, which and just a brief sort of sidestepping here. I I really see a lot of parallels in the Wii U and the Vita actually in the way that Nintendo and Sony handled their 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 respective products. Uh I think neither one of those companies knew, like they bungled the marketing on both of those and they didn't really know what they had and didn't really know what to do with them. And so instead of wasting more time and money and trying to sort of uh, figure it out. Now, now to, to be honest, I think the Vita is just a better piece of hardware than the Wii U. The Wii U is fine. And I think without it, uh, I think it's actually kind of underrated. And I think without it, we wouldn't have the Switch. That doesn't mean that it's not a, a fairly problematic piece of equipment. But that being said, that quick diversion there, um, the Wonderful 101 was a game originally released for the Wii U. And I, I own it on Wii U. And I think I bought it because Josh had talked about it and said he enjoyed it. And it was like one of those things, you can get it pretty cheap if you have a Wii U. But therein lies a problem. You need to have a Wii U. Eh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, anyways, um, but what I think is like Platinum is looking at their properties and uh, and I can only, this is all like sort of speculative Im- imagination. And they say, hey, we have this property here. Uh, let's see if we can do something with that. So they 
drag it out and uh, they throw it on Kickstarter. And, and it's almost sort of saying like, it, to me, I'm, I'm looking at this and this is what I'm reading into it. I'm, I'm looking at that and I'm saying, I think in a lot of ways they're saying, hey, we have this. Would anybody be interested in, you know, us re remastering or slash remaking this? And I think, um, I do not think that they had any idea that people would sort of respond the way they did because their original sort of opening uh, bid or whatever, uh, th- their original ask was for about $50,000. Now it started out in yen, but it was for about $50,000. And uh, I think they were fully funded within the first hour or two and had blown past several of their stretch goals. And uh, I was actually looking at it a little earlier they are at over a thousand or not a thousand bleh, over a million and a half dollars at this point in time for as far as people you know pledging to this um and so i don't think there i i don't think any of them would have guessed that 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 game would have received that sort of uh support and backing but sort of coming back to the the, the big takeaways here i think there's a few things here one it allows them to gauge interest and uh, two you know, this has been an extremely successful Kickstarter, but a million and a half dollars to basically pre-fund this. Um, now, this is a remaster in in most senses of the word, and this is a last-gen game, so there's probably not a lot of work that they need to do to like, you know, uh, pretty it up. Uh, they are adding some content because of you know blowing past the stretch goals, and so in a lot of ways, this is a fairly low-cost project, but. Uh, so so far i guess like the two big takeaways that i think other developers and other studios would be wise is like this this model and what they did allows them to gauge interest but it also allows them to pre-fund production and and so those like so far these are very low risk sort of scenarios that i think given the right game you know i don't think you're going to be able to do this with games that people don't care about and and I didn't know that much about Wonderful 101, but a lot of people were super hyped on it, apparently. Um, and I, I think the third thing it does, and and for me in particular, and I was looking at some of the, the stretch goals, and uh, but I think in a way, this sort of feels fills a bit of a void uh, that the pre-order market used to fulfill. Uh, pre-orders today, uh, you get like uh, a theme for your Xbox or your PlayStation. I don't know if Xbox even has themes. Or you get like maybe like some skins or something. And it's a lot of like no, there's no real substantial bonus for doing the pre-order stuff. Or, you know, you used to be able to go to GameStop and pre-order. And of course, at that point in time, you're giving your money to the store. And then the developer and publisher gets some of that from GameStop. Uh, but there's like, you know, there, there was always like the little tchotchke stuff. Like sometimes you get like a free soundtrack or, uh, I remember actually I went and pre-ordered the, uh, Metroid, uh, Samus returns for, for DS. And I got like a little Samus pixel Samus keychain fob thing, uh, you know, but there was like little tchotchke stuff that. You would get and it was fun um like that sort of feel that, that has been kind of missing there's no real value for pre-ordering anything and i'm not saying that you were getting tons of value by getting like a dumb poster or, or a soundtrack or anything like that 
but it just felt like a little bit of an extra bump here. And, and some of the, the Kickstarter perks sort of feel the same way. Uh, so th there's just a lot of things in this, you know, th those are the three big sort of like my takeaways that um, looking at this, this, this Kickstarter campaign really sort of intrigued me. Um, and, I, and I really do think other developers and publishers would be wise to take some notes here, um, especially when it comes to some of their more niche titles. I mean, uh, Josh and I talked a little bit about Eternal Darkness, uh, and that's a GameCube game. It was sort of a, what is it, a Lovecraftian sort of survival horror. It was, it was kind of weird, did some really interesting things. Um, and Josh actually pointed out that uh, somebody had actually tried to Kickstarter a spiritual successor to the game. Uh, called, uh, let me just pull that up real quick. Um, uh, Shadow of the Eternals, right? And so they had tried to kickstart it. And this is like, I think, like, this is an interesting case study as well. But they, they were basically wanting to make a new game as a spiritual successor, as an homage to uh, Eternal Darkness. But what I think would be more interesting is uh, the developers, you know, people who hold the rights to these games saying, like, hey, why don't we do a remaster remake? Uh, solution here using Kickstarter to uh, drum up some funding so that we don't have to go pitch this in front of sort of an, an investor board or or something like that or uh, publishing studio and we can get money which I think is part of what Kickstarter was supposed to be about anyways but that like you know like I said it gives us some ways for people to buy in and to support and allows us to to really have a a, a, a metric or to be able to gauge people's interest and support uh, of these projects. And so I, I'm, I, I really think that that will be uh, if, if other developers sort of pick up on these cues, uh, that's a really interesting and, and, and frankly, I think a very good way to use uh, Kickstarter uh, there. Like I said, there, like, I, I'd love to see eternal darkness, maybe get this treatment. Um, I know that's a little further out and so that the price tag might be a little bit bigger, but looking at that Shadow of Eternals game, uh, the, their original ask, and this is from years ago, was they were seeking $750,000, so three, quarter, three quarters of a million dollars. And uh, they didn't hit that, obviously, but, and, and there have been some horror stories about like people pledging money to Kickstarter. So there, there are some, some concerns and cautions here that we need to be aware of, but uh they did get three, you know, this, this looking at Shadow of the Eternals, they did get a little over $300,000 pledged. And so it makes me wonder, like, you know, those, those were people who were hungry for an Eternal Darkness style game. And it just makes me think, well, you know, what if they did an Eternal Darkness remaster slash remake? Uh, you know, you're probably your opening ask is going to be a little bit more than the $50,000 that that platinum sort of pitch for the wonderful 101 because the assets are older and you'd probably need a lot of work to get in there and sort of like, you know, fix it up and clean it up and tool around. So I just thought that, you know, and at that point in time, if you did need more money too, you could take that and, and go to potential investors and say, Hey, uh, we have, we have some marked interest in this. We think that if we can get some additional funding we can do something really great with this so there's just some interesting stuff i mean me personally uh like i've mentioned it comes up in trg from time to time it comes up uh you know when people sort of ask me if, if i'm interested in a potential remake remaster of games 
Uh, there are a few that sort of swim to the top. One, I'd love to see uh, Wind Waker HD uh, come to the Switch. Nintendo, Nintendo just drives me crazy uh, because there's so many properties that if they, they could do pretty much just ports uh, to the Switch and they'd just be making money hand over fist. But uh, as far as non-Switch, as, as non-complaints, I think... You know, uh, I would be remiss to say I I would love to see Valkyrie Profile show up on some current gen hardware. I think it would uh, have a home, like it would have a fantastic home on the Switch. Uh, I think uh, Skies of Arcadia, that's uh, going back to the Dreamcast and the GameCube, would be just a fantastic addition. Like, uh, I, I think it's one of the standout. You know, when Josh and I were doing our top 100, uh, it was one of those games where I'm like, yeah, I, I would probably put this thing way higher. I played this back in the day, loved the mess out of it. It'd be great to be able to play this again in, in a slightly more current gen kind of situation. So Skies of Arcadia is up there for me. There's just uh, there's there's tons of games that I think would benefit from maybe their developers or publishers taking a look at this model and and sort of seeing what they could do with it. But I think I've I've sort of run out of steam on this thing for now. Um, but that leaves me with a question. Like if you guys could, uh, if, for anybody listening, uh, I'd love to hear what you would be uh, interested in seeing get this sort of the wonderful 101 remake remaster treatment. So, you know, you know, Josh, there's a little bit of a stinger at the end here. But yeah, if, if you uh, would like to interact with us, you know the places, and uh, I'd love to hear back from you on that question. You know, if if you could get one remake, one remaster, and sort of have this treatment and have it be successful, what would it be? And uh, look forward to hearing from you guys. And until next time, you know, do the things. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Backlog Breakdown. If you want to join in the conversation, you can email us at thebacklogbreakdown at gmail.com or join our Facebook group, The Backlog Book Club, on Facebook. And on Twitter, our handle is at BBDownCast. Of course, you can also catch Nate and I on our social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, and the GG app. I go by Broccolope, that's spelled B-R-O-C-C-O-L-O-P-E, and Nate goes by Nate underscore McKeever. Till next time, loggers, you keep beating down those backlogs, and we'll keep breaking down the benefits.